Good morning. It's wonderful to see all of you here this morning, this first Sunday of Daylight Savings Time, and this fourth Sunday of our season of Lent. Today we will be exploring the very familiar parable of the prodigal son. And in that parable, the loving father says to the angry and jealous older son, I am with you always. All that I have is yours. We are here this morning to worship a God of revolutionary grace. Here at Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church, where Christ is our center, children our blessing, and justice our passion. Rejoice, for this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
And now I would invite the children to come forward for our time together. Yeah, great. The first row is all free this morning, and I hope that you will come and sit right up here in front. You can sit right here, right here. Good morning. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Oh, what a wonderful morning. Anybody a little sleepy? A little tired? Oh, yeah. Me too. I want to tell you a story this morning. Are you ready for a story? Yes. All right. This is a story about a little girl and a little boy. And the little boy first wanted to get away from God. This little boy thought he'd done so many things so wrong that God would be so mad at him. He wanted to get away from God. And so he climbed a very, very, very high mountain. What mountain would he have climbed? Do you know a high mountain? What do you? Mount Everest. What were you going to say? Mount Everest. That's right. Highest mountain he was going to climb. He did. He climbed all the way to the top of Mount Everest to see if he could get away from God. And there he was on the top of this magnificent mountain. And he looked all around. And God was there. Right up there on that mountain. And now, this little girl who wanted to get away from God, who was just so sorry and so sad and all worried about what God would love her, which is really silly. And she decided to become a deep-sea diver. And she went down into an ocean. Which ocean? Which ocean? Yeah. Which one? The Pacific. Which ocean do you say? You were going to say the Pacific? The Atlantic. What do you think? The Indian Ocean. Boy, you guys are really great with your oceans. What do you say? The Pacific. In my house, sometimes we say the specific ocean, but it is the Pacific Ocean. Went way, way, way down there in that ocean, and it was very dark. Very dark. Then these glowing fish came by, and they were so beautiful and so wonderful that she knew what? God was there. Well, now, the little boy, who was still trying to get away from God, got on a boat and went very, very, very far away. Where do you think he went? What do you see? You've heard this story before? Well, shoot. Where do you think he went? It was so very far away. Anybody? Yes. China. Went all the way to China. Anybody here from China? No? Okay. Went all the very farthest away to China and thought, surely... God won't be in China. But what did he find? In all the beautiful people there, God was there. Now, the little girl became an astronaut. And she decided that she would try to get away from God by going all the way into outer space. And she was a very good astronaut. And she went way, 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 way up into space. And at first she thought that she had finally gotten away from God. And do you know what happened? What? Well, she didn't. She became really sad and decided that she really wished that God were there. And suddenly the spaceship turned, and what did she see out the spaceship window? What was twinkling and winking at her that made her know that God was there. The stars, that's right. 
she was right there in the middle of God. Is there any place we can go where God is not? No. Is there any place or any reason that God would ever not love us? That's a lot of double negatives. Does God always love us? Yes. Does it matter what we've done? No. Here's the the word for today. God loves us wherever we go, whatever we've done. God loves us no matter what. Always and forever. Can you say that? God loves us no matter what. How about everybody say that? God loves us no matter what. Are you ready for a prayer? Okay. Dear God, we thank you that you love us everywhere, in every place, all of us, and all that we are. Amen. Now, the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let us share signs of the peace of Christ. Are you ready to share the peace of Christ?
Please join me in the prayer for illumination, which is found in your bulletin. O God, your word is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. Give us grace to receive the truth in faith and love that we may always be your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7, and it is found on, in your pew Bible on page 506. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all of you who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are my hiding place. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Today's gospel reading is from Luke 15, 1, 2, 3, and 11 through 32. The familiar parable of the prodigal son is the last in a series of three parables that portray God as seeking out that which is lost. The two others are the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now, as we read this passage, think about how this parable might be more appropriately named the parable of the prodigal father rather than the parable of the prodigal son. Keep in mind that the word prodigal, when used as an adjective, means wastefully or recklessly extravagant, lavishly abundant, profuse. Now here, Luke 15, 1 to 3, 11 to 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe 
famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back, safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has killed your property with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and, joy and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and now is found. The word of the Lord. We believe in a God of grace. We need a God of grace. Because like the younger son in the parable, sometimes we pursue the wrong path and search for fulfillment when none is to be found. A perfect storm of troubles engulfs us, and we find ourselves in an abyss, wondering if we can survive. We recognize a painful, troubling discontinuity between who we have become 
and who we are truly meant to be. We believe in a God of grace. We need a God of grace. Because like the older son, sometimes we are overwhelmed with anger. We follow the rules. We do everything right, but never get what we deserve. What is coming to us? We grow jealous, bitter, and resentful. Our world becomes smaller and smaller because we shut everyone out. We believe in a God of grace. We need a God of grace. Because like the Father, sometimes we find there is a steep price to pay when we try so very hard to live as generous and forgiving disciples of Christ. Practicing unconditional love brings great joy and fulfillment Yet it also compels us to bravely cross the boundary of cultural expectations and wander into foreign territory, where we may be asked to sacrifice power, money, or prestige, the values of the world. This parable brilliantly offers three different points of entry so the hearer can make it his or her own story. The late Harvard professor and writer Henry Nowen wrote in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, that at different times in Nowen's own life, he could identify with each of the three main characters. And so can we. This story tells us how in the crucible of life's challenges, in the midst of all the injustice of the world, in the chaos of destroyed lives and relationships, the injection of radical grace, reconciling, forgiving love, is life-giving. It has the power to renew, reconcile, restore, and repair. But paradoxically, grace, this reconciling, forgiving love, is so revolutionary and radical, so countercultural, that we may find it hard to extend such love and even more difficult to accept it. In the first century Roman Empire, a son rarely left his family to find himself. Distance from the family meant loss of identity. In agricultural areas, the family was tied to the land. It was to be held in trust and passed down from generation to generation. Property was considered no less than a gift from God that belonged to the family, past, present, and future. In this cultural context, the extent of the father's sacrifice is magnified. One of the several Greek words for property, bios, is used to describe the land the father gives to his son. Bios can also be translated as life. The writer of Luke wants us to know that the father in an act of unusual generosity, essentially gives a large part of his life 
to his son. So the son takes this precious gift, part of his father's life, and what we imagine to be the biblical equivalent of Las Vegas squanders his inheritance on wild living. He sunk to the lowest possible position in first century Palestine. Because of a famine, the younger son was compelled to work for Gentiles, foreigners. Moreover, he was reduced to feeding pigs, considered by the Israelites to be a forbidden and unclean occupation. In desperation, the younger son eventually comes to himself and takes action. He realizes he has chosen a destructive path. He was living a nightmare when he was supposed to be living his father's dream. He arises and heads toward his father, planning to ask only to live outside the house as a hired hand, the lowliest position for a servant. The first century audience, like us, would conclude that this is a fitting fate for someone who has so shamed his family. In typical parabolic fashion, however, the audience is shocked by a surprise. The totality of the son's descent and alienation is matched by the totality of the father's grace and forgiveness. The father's actions are culturally out of sync. They are radical. In fact, the scene of the father running down the road and affectionately kissing his younger son, robes flying in the wind to the first century audience would have the quality of burlesque. In ancient Palestine, grown men did not run. It was considered very undignified and Affectionately kissing a son is something a mother would do, certainly not a father. Yet the father's compassion and joy carried him down that road to the younger son. The father did not give a hoot about what the neighbors thought. He did not even attempt to keep up appearances because he knew that reconciliation and restoration were all that mattered. Alan Culpepper, in the New Interpreter's Bible, writes, No other image has come closer to describing the character of God. Then the waiting father, peering down the road, waiting for his son's return, then springing to his feet and running to meet him. The younger son's confession is interrupted by the father before the son can propose that he be reinstated as a hired hand. The father immediately calls for the symbols of reconciliation, the robe, the ring, the sandals. He also calls for a feast, a covenant meal in which the whole community is informed that the younger son, to the great joy of the father, has officially returned home. But... This is not the happy ending of the story. Life is more complicated than that, isn't it? Jesus brings the older son back into the picture, who, coming in from the fields, hears a celebration. 
He inquires about it only to learn that the younger son's return is being celebrated. The older son is consumed with self-righteous anger. He is in danger of becoming just as lost as his younger brother was. However, we are in for yet another surprise from the father. The father, again, bridges the distance between himself and his son. He violates his cultural role by leaving his guest and rushing out to meet the older son, forgetting his dignity. He pleads with his son to come to the table, to step inside the circle of reconciliation. Rather than rejecting the older son for his harshness and his hard heart, the father offers grace, paternal love. When the son tries to argue his case through merit, the father answers that all he has belongs to the older son, regardless of anything he has done to deserve it. All the older son has to do is come to the table and accept his role as a brother. The referent in this parable, as in all of Jesus' parables, is the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us through this story that the kingdom is a place of revolutionary grace. The kind of selfless grace reaffirming, reconciling love that challenges our culture and breaks open our world to accept a new reality. The kind of grace that welcomes us to the table, no matter from what door we enter. This grace precedes repentance. If we are lost, and alienated. All we need to do is arise and turn toward God who has been watching all along for our return. This grace does not depend on merit or anything we do. All we have to do is accept our role as a brother or sister and come to the table. As the parable teaches, we cannot become a child of God unless we, come, we be also become a brother or a sister to all of God's children. The parable ends in a cliffhanger. We do not know if the older son decides to take his place at the table. We do not know if the younger son, when his belly is full, reverts back to his wild ways, or if he winds up eventually working as a hired hand for his brother, as he had predicted would be his fate. The one thing we know for sure is that the father's love is unshakable, and the table is open to everyone, Pharisees and tax collectors, sinners and saints, all of us. The original first century audience and the Pharisees who heard this story were dealing with some of the same issues the older son was, the same issues we face today. The people were at a crisis point, forced to decide if they wanted to sit at a radically inclusive table to experience God's love in a new way or to walk away in anger. 
Like the older son, they had not decided upon their next move. We have not decided upon our next move either. Our questions remain. Are we prepared as individuals to accept God's radical grace? Even if it requires that we sit down at the table with and become brothers and sisters to those whom society has traditionally shunned. Like the father in the story, are we prepared to give up some of the things we hold most dear? The trappings of our culture in order to be an instrument of grace. It is difficult to be faithful in a changing world, to break cultural notions and expectations in the name of love. But when we are lost, when we are angry, we are comforted. Because we know the vastness and depth of God's love, grace, compassion, and justice has the power to overcome all the big challenges that we face in our small world. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. For we believe in a God of grace. Amen. Please stand and sing hymn number 298. There is a wideness in God's mercy. Good morning again and welcome to the Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church. I would offer a special welcome to anyone who is visiting with us or returning after an absence. We are glad to welcome you to our community and we are glad that you have chosen to walk with us this day in your faith journey. 
I would invite you to sign the red pew pads, friendship pads, at the ends of the pews and pass them along. We like to know your name so that we can greet you and offer you our hospitality. We also like to know who's here and who's not here so that we can keep track of all of that. No, so we can reach out to those who have been absent so that we can extend our love and care. I would invite you to turn to your news and notes. We have so many wonderful things happening this week. On Tuesday, we are blessed to have the former U.S. Ambassador to Syria, Mr. Katouf, to hear about the present and future situation in Syria. This is such a world concern and we are so we are so blessed to be able to have that conversation with him. On Thursday night there is the Environmental Film Festival featuring the film The Last Mountain and you can read more about that in your news and notes. On Saturday morning is the Easter Festival with egg hunt and crafts for children and families and adults of all ages. And next Sunday is the Bach Marathon, beginning and at 2 and ending somewhere later in the afternoon in a glorious, magnificent whirl of sound and praise to God. And so I do um, welcome you to attend any of those events. I would also announce and say that we have some important news and some sad news that Ian Richardson, our church administrator, has announced that he will retire at the end of next month. Ian has done many great things for this church. He knows this building like no one else. He's seen spaces here that I don't think the mice could find. We admire and we appreciate him for all of his diligence and his many, many years of hard work and his willingness to help so many people. I respect Ian's decision and I know that we will greatly miss him. In the next weeks, I would ask that we join together in celebrating Ian's work among us. Party planners, please step forward. We need to have a marvelous celebration for Ian. Please contact me or members of the personnel committee to be a part of planning that event. We have much to celebrate and much to do. And now we turn to our service and we say, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Our hope is in the God who raised Christ from the grave. And so I ask you, what joys or concerns would you lift up to God this morning? I, I see Bob and... No... Please remember in your prayers, 94-year-old Nelson Mandela, the towering moral leader of South Africa who entered hospital yesterday. Thank you. Other joys or concerns? Then let us pray. God of great compassion, Glorious one of unbounded mercy, with joy we gather to worship you. With wonder and amazement we celebrate your holy name, your love for us, your readiness to forgive and to heal us in your grace astounds us. In Jesus Christ you came to be with us, breathing our air, sharing our pain, knowing our joy teaching us because you want to love us and to be present here with us. 
For the compassion you have shown us, we thank you. For all the ways your grace heals our lives, we praise you. For all the wonder we have yet to know, we adore you. Your mercy gives us hope. It helps us to be honest before you. We welcome your wisdom and we ask that you open our hearts to the leading of your spirit. We thank you for the gift of repentance that wakes us up and calls us home. With the assurance of your love, we are bold in our faith. We shall act for justice and reach out in compassion. We shall strive for peace and reconciliation in all of our relationships. And we will work and pray for reconciliation between our sisters and brothers throughout this world. This morning we lift up to you the people of North Korea and those of Iran the people of Kenya in the midst of their presidential transition, and the people of Venezuela and their uncertainty and new day. We also, O oh God, lift up to you those who so desperately need reconciliation in Syria. All throughout our world, our homes, our nations, our neighborhoods, we ask that you are with us, and we ask for your healing grace. And now, O oh God, even as we pray for those who are far away, so we pray for those who are close by. And we pray that you find all who are lost and who need to come home. Heal hurt, and illness. Mend all that is broken. Comfort all who grieve. Make us whole. Empower us with your presence. Empower your church to faithfully witness and serve Christ Jesus. Receive our prayers, for we offer them in the name of Christ, who has taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now in celebration and recognition of God's revolutionary grace in our lives, the grace that heals us and makes us whole, let us come and offer to God our gifts and our very lives that we may share God's grace here and across the world. Our morning offerings will now be received.
Let us pray. Almighty and ever-giving God, we cannot begin to count the many blessings you have showered on us. Just as you have blessed us, we pray that these offerings may bring food to those who are hungry, joy to those who are distressed, and hope to those who are discouraged. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends, we believe in a God of grace. So let us go out and create a grace-filled world. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and generous to you. May the Lord look upon on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>